Welcome to Bluecast, the Carved in Blue podcast channel. My name is Trisha Carey, and I'm Director of Global Business Development for Denim at Lensing. We transform trees into tensile lyocell and modal fibers, which are used by leading denim mills and brands around the world. To learn more about tensile denim, visit our Carved in Blue blog or follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or our YouTube channel, Blue Lens. This month, we will feature a series of conversations in correlation to Women's History Month entitled Solutionists in partnership with the Fashion Impact Fund. To introduce this special series is Carrie Vanigan, Executive Director of Fashion Impact Fund, which supports women entrepreneurs leading educational initiatives to accelerate the fashion industry's transition to an equitable, inclusive, and regenerative sector. The Fashion Impact Fund also includes the Conscious Fashion Campaign in collaboration with the United Nations Office for Partnerships and the Public Foundation. That spotlights women entrepreneurs in the fashion industry driving social and environmental impact by showcasing their work in billboard and digital campaigns to scale their impact in support of the Sustainable Development Goals. Thank you, Trisha. This year, Women's History Month is even more poignant with the theme of providing healing, promoting hope. It is both a tribute to the ceaseless work of caregivers and frontline workers during this ongoing pandemic, and also a recognition of the thousands of ways that women from all cultures have provided both healing and hope throughout history. Women as healers harken back to ancient times. Women's History Month is a celebration of women's contributions to history, culture and society and has been observed annually in the month of March in the United States since 1987. It is a dedicated month to reflect on the often overlooked contributions of women to the United States history. From Abigail Adams to Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth to Rosa Parks. The timeline of women's history milestones stretches back to the founding of the United States. We want to recognize women in the fashion and denim industry who are making an impact and forging a new path. Those who are connecting their life's work to planet, people, and prosperity, giving us hope towards a change. We look forward to this series of discussions on Bluecast Carved in Blue to highlight women in the denim industry or supporting the efforts. No effort is too small. It is building each season, each collection, each connection to make progress. Each are solutionists. Our guest today started Oceanic Global Foundation in 2016 with the mission of engaging new audiences in ocean conservation. The nonprofit taps into universal passions to raise awareness for issues impacting our oceans and to provide individual and industry solutions that drive positive change. Oceanic Global takes a uniquely creative approach to conservation, creating immersive experiences that engage local communities, amplify the efforts of synergistic groups, generate measurable impact, and ignite global action. Leah Daroli, founder and executive director of Oceanic Global, has spearheaded a series of awareness-driven projects. In 2017, she successfully led the execution of the organization's inaugural educational experience, Oceanic X Abiza. Oceanic X Abiza brought together over 4,000 guests, along with thought leaders, institutions, artists, sustainable brands, and more 
to celebrate our ocean and ignite action for conversation. In 2018, Leah created the Oceanic Standard, a set of research-backed toolkits and verification systems that help various industries minimize their environmental footprints and adopt sustainable practices. By creating the Oceanic Standard as free, open-source, solution-oriented resources, she has managed to shape international policy, shift consumer behavior, empower action in communities, and provide tools for all environmental organizations to utilize in furthering their respective endeavors. In 2019 and 2020, Oceanic Global was invited to co-host the United Nations World Oceans Day. Through her work at Oceanic Global, Leah has paved a new way forward, widespread philanthropic engagement on an individual, community, and corporate level. So please join me in welcoming Leah. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much, Trisha, for having me. It's such an honor to be here um, and to be discussing this this month. Yes, it really is. And while we haven't had a chance to meet in person, we do have a mutual friend, um, and that's Valentino Vittori, who started Arcadia Earth, which I know you were very involved in. So it's wonderful that we can have this opportunity to talk. One of my favorite projects, and I was so happy to see the Tensile Hydro Room there. Um, so very excited to see what continues in Arcadia. Yeah. And it and it's still up and running in New York. Um, so a little plug for Arcadia Earth and and Valentino just opened another uh, exhibit in Las Vegas. So but enough about that. Tell us more about your background and why did you start Oceanic Global? So I didn't actually have a very traditional background in the space. Um, I've been in the nonprofit space my whole life, though, and it's really been part of my upbringing since the age of nine years old. I remember actively volunteering um, in different charities that my mother was involved in. So I was actually born and grew up in Hong Kong. And the environment and the ocean has always been a huge part of my life. I think most people don't realize that 70% of Hong Kong is national park and it's surrounded by these beautiful islands. But growing up, there are days where the air quality was so bad that my brother that was asthmatic wasn't allowed to go outside or we weren't able to go swimming due to the red tides. So from a really early age, I started to understand our human impact on the environment. And I went off to university didn't study anything to do with the environment, did social anthropology, and then moved to business. And then in, in my early 20s, moved to New York and found a job in event production for high-end luxury brands. And although it was an amazing learning experience, being in an industry just that wasn't aligned with my values really ended up wearing me out. And I eventually had a burnout at 25. And I remember I was sitting on a beach in Ibiza. I had two weeks a year off holiday. Um, and I read an article that we had 10 years before human impact on the ocean was completely irreversible. And I couldn't believe that this wasn't on the front page of every single newspaper, that my generation wasn't actively engaged in this topic. And really that evening I went home and I mapped out what became our first event, Oceanic Ibiza. And that's where Oceanic started from. It really started from one of these dreams that I had and really chose to immerse myself in. Um, I think having that understanding of that human impact that I touched upon and things like plastic pollution and overfishing um, also really kind of gave me the groundswell that I needed. And I really had an amazing support system. So I remember coming back to New York after those two weeks 
and sitting down with a group of friends. And I said, you know, I really want to do this event. And one of my best friends in PR was like, I'll do all your PR for free. And another one of my friends said, I'll do all the production. Um, I'll do all the design and really just started this community um, from there. So in 2000. And 17, we did Oceanic Ibiza in the summer. We brought together around 4,000 people. Uh, we had 25 speakers from around the world. Another mutual friend of ours, uh, Carrie Berenger, who I know has spoken on this podcast before, actually flew out and represented the UN SDGs. Uh, we had over 30 different nonprofit partners. And as a result, two uh, local policy bills were introduced. And I realized then um, that we really had something going here. So I went back to New York and established Oceanic uh, Global as a 510c3. Wow, that's amazing. You accomplished so much. I feel like you just ran through, um, you know, probably <laughs> what, was, what was about what? Was that 10 years, would you say, from to where you are now or five years? No, this is six years ago. Um, so this is everything <laughs> that really happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, from the time of your realization uh, that you needed to have really bring more purpose into the work that you're doing, and you certainly have found a way to do that. So I think that your story on why you got started with Oceanic Global is is very inspiring. And this was even I, before the pandemic time, where I think more and more people are questioning what is their why, what is their purpose, and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I you know, that you were able to at least come to this realization at age 25 is incredible. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I shared there was like a very high level um, in terms of the why, but, you know, I think that ultimately the why we do things are always, it, it comes from a very emotional place a lot of the time, especially when these projects are very passion driven. Um, and to get a little bit more personal, you know, I, I mentioned that from a very early age, I've had a lot of loss in my life. And when I was 15, I lost my brother really suddenly. And in 2014, so a year before I started Oceanic, I lost my mom. And when I read that article, it really hit me um, that I was potentially losing this happy place. And that's really what I needed um, to start it. So I think you know, although I had those series of events, I think that it did come from that very vulnerable space also that I was currently in um, when reading that article. Yeah. No, sorry, sorry to hear about all of that. And I love in your story how determined you are as the founder and how much you inspired other people. I mean, it's true leadership that you had others that were willing to say, I want to help you out. What can I do? Is there a way that you try to do this? How how do you look at taking on that thought leadership and, and that people are engaging with, with your work? So one of the reasons that I actually started Oceanic was because I felt like at the time, um, the ocean nonprofit space really didn't allow people to engage beyond becoming donors. So I felt it was a very traditional model. And, you know, being 25 years old at the time, I wasn't in a place to donate money, but I actively wanted to partake in this conversation to be building campaigns, etc. And so the way that we created Oceanic was really allowing leadership roles to um, to be part of our programming. So one of our main programs is actually called our regional hubs program. And these are volunteer-based chapters around the world that allow and empower individuals and community to take localized action. So again, providing that framework, providing those resources. 
Another one of our main programs, um, which you mentioned in the introduction, was originally called the Oceanic Standard, and we actually rebranded it to the Blue Standard earlier this year. And this really looks at creating a framework for specific industries to be shifting their operating practices and then looking at a verification system to award them based on their level of achievement. Um, so through that criteria too, you know, we have over 60 consultants around the world, and this is a way for them to be supporting their livelihoods and then also be going out and engaging local businesses within their communities. So the way that we create and build any of our program is looking at creating this framework and this infrastructure looking at more regionally um, and then really looking at providing the tools for the people on the ground to also be sharing this. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned a little bit about your toolkits. So what does a toolkit include? So the toolkits um, are directly related to the Blue Standard Program. So when, because of my background in event production, um, I realized that there was big opportunities to actually work with specific industries like hospitality and tourism, uh, you know, music and events, entertainment, professional sports, et cetera, to basically audit what are they currently using from their single use plastics to their waste management infrastructure. And one of the biggest barriers to entry, what we saw was actually businesses having to pay for this type of service. So um, what we developed was we developed a two-arm approach. The first one was actually working with trained consultants to help businesses through this transition, which, of course, would have some costs um, applied to that. But the second one was actually creating a step-by-step -step guide for how any of these businesses could go through this transition themselves. Um, and with part of that is also recommending something called our blue list. So we have over 300 sustainable vendors that we recommend that are alternatives to things like single use plastic items, et cetera. So the idea here is anyone, you know, has access to this information and could ultimately go and implement this and cost, et cetera, would not become one of these barriers to do so. Interesting. That's wonderful. You put all that together. You've also co-hosted not only one UN uh, Oceans Day, but actually two of them. Um, how was that experience for you? Yeah, so we're actually doing our fourth one this year, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, so we actually started working with the United Nations Duales team in 2018. Um, and this is a general assembly event that's hosted every year on the 8th of June. It's been an amazing experience, honestly, over the years. Um, one of my favorite programs that we host. And one of the things that I love about it is every year there's a different theme. So in 2019, the theme was gender in the ocean. So we really started to highlight topics such as slavery at sea, which really are not common topics that are spoken about. In 2020, we were discussing innovation for a sustainable ocean. Last year, the theme was the ocean life and livelihoods. And this year's theme actually is revitalization. So collective action for the ocean, really looking at solutions, bringing in a sense of hope. Um, so what I love about this platform too, is that it goes beyond the day's event. And there's a community actually called the Friends of World Oceans Day community, which is made up of over 200 individuals and organizations from around the world that actually collaborate on these yearly themes and are looking at engaging their local communities around these important ocean topics. So I think one of the silver linings for us with COVID actually is previously in 2019, uh, the event was held at the General Assembly in New York, and we were limited to the 500 people in the room. And so with 
COVID, we actually moved the program to be fully virtual. And as a result, we managed to engage over 350,000 people that tuned in from 190 regions around the world. So making World Oceans Day one of the largest ocean events. And so we're really excited this year for the first time to be doing a hybrid event. So hosting it primarily at the UN headquarters in New York, but also broadcasting it live to make sure that, you know, everyone has an opportunity to attend and engage um, with this event. That's incredible that you can have so much of a greater reach that way. Do you feel that global citizens have changed and the mindset has changed, uh, uh, you know, based on everything that's happened the past couple of years? Um, I think there's a lot more awareness specifically around environmental and ocean issues. Um, and that honestly gives me a lot of hope. Um, we're starting to see a lot more engagement at every single level. So, you know, working with individuals and communities, working with business leaders, I think there's a lot more accountability and transparency. And I think businesses are realizing that they really need to be engaging meaningfully within these conversations. And as a result, we're also seeing um, a lot more shifts in policy. You know, I think coming out of COP26 this year, which, um, which Oceanic Global attended, there was a there was a lot of scrutiny around the event, but I think one of the main takeaways is that for the first time ever, most people found out what COP twenty six was. I think that you know until this year, it really hadn't had the same level of media coverage ever before. Um, so yes, I definitely feel that the ocean agenda is it's new for a more mainstream audience. Yeah, I do think people are more aware of their environment, um, impact of nature, and we're a bit more captive as an audience to, you know, to learn more. I agree with you, learning more about COP26, that hearing everything, uh, media coverage was was really extensive this time. No, I was just going to say, I think well, with that we kind of fall into a trap that because we feel like everyone knows, we feel like that, you know, these actions are also taking place. Um, and I see that specifically because we do a lot of work in the plastic space. And when I speak to people, they're like, oh, yes, I know we have a plastic issue. But I think that most people don't realize that more than, you know, every year we're still producing more plastic than ever before to the point where right now we're dumping on average two truckloads of plastic in our oceans every minute and we're eating a credit card of plastic per week and digesting that within our bodies which we can't process so you know what i would definitely urge to anyone listening is knowing is wonderful but it, we need to be shifting this into taking tangible action and looking at what is the impacts that you are taking in your daily life and how to have a more positive one that's aligned with our planet for sure and as consumers that we use our wallet to vote um, and, you know, really support the brands that are making the changes, whether it's from packaging to materials that they're using, if it's apparel, uh, it is all encompassing and so much more than us just saying, okay, I recycle. That's good enough. You know? Exactly. Yeah. There's so much power in being a consumer. <laughs> it's just making sure that we use that power for good. Exactly. So March is Women's History Month with the theme of providing healing and promoting hope. I saw a really wonderful deep dive interview that you did. Um, I think it was on Instagram. It was also posted then on YouTube. Uh, and it was with a 12-year-old youth climate activist named Lily Platt. You guys just had a wonderful rapport in this conversation. This is a way that I see that you're promoting this hope to a younger generation and really connecting. What other ways do you see healing and hope in the work that you do? 
It's, it's a tough one, you know, being in this space um, and seeing the science day in, day out, it's really daunting. And honestly, it can be very frustrating at times as you realize very quickly that a lot of the decisions that we take globally are very reactive. Um, and I feel like in the environmental sector, we're not proactive enough when it comes to things like the climate crisis and, you know, really looking at preserving our only shared planet, Gaia, our home. I also believe that we also have a lot of healing to do um, as so many of us are really disconnected from nature. And that's why it's so important to be bringing in things like ancient wisdom to the forefront of these conversations when talking about the environmental movements. One of the campaigns that we've just launched actually is called our Ocean Wellness Campaign. So exploring the ebbs and flows and highlighting the interconnectedness of everything the need to spend time connecting to nature, to bodies of water and the impact on mental health and our overall human being, well-being. But ultimately, I do have hope. I believe that people want to do the right thing. I just hope that we're not too late and that what we strive to do and preserve and regenerate uh, with the biodiversity is still, you know, while it's still here, nature is amazing and it has this opportunity to rebound, which is also why I'm so excited about this year's UN World Ocean Day theme of revitalization. Um, so that we start to shift this narrative to a more hopeful solution oriented one. That's great. Incredible work you're doing. And it sounds like you've had some inspiring people in your life. You mentioned your mother um, and also, you know, this work of uh, connecting with youth climate activists like Lily is there someone present day or or someone from history, uh, a, a woman that really inspires you to continue to go forward? Yeah, so I feel like I've had amazing role models. Um, I think it's so important as anyone within this space. I would love to one day meet Jane Goodall, um, her love and her connectedness to nature and what she's done for this movement has been beyond inspirational to me. Yeah, I would like to meet Jane too. So maybe we can, we can <laughs> have Jane come to our media or to the next UN event. So we'll see. That'd be wonderful. Great. Yeah. Yeah, we want to move into our final five fast fires. So these are like one or two word quick answers that you have on so people can learn more about you. And since we're on Bluecast, uh, would one would like to ask you, do you remember your first gene? Oof. Um, I remember the first pair of jeans I was obsessed with, which were, now that I think back at it, terrible. They were these low rise jeans with big flares. Um, I hope they never come back into fashion. <laughs> but at the time at 11, 12 years old, they were my favorite piece. We always remember our jeans from youth. Yes. And yeah. what is your favorite ocean? You spend so much time talking about oceans. Do you have a favorite one? That's a really hard one. It depends from biodiversity to, you know, me thinking about just floating in the ocean with friends. Um, but I probably have to go with the Pacific Ocean for the sake of choosing one. It's our largest body of water. Um, so, yeah. Great. And which SDG of the 17 SDGs do you connect with the most? SDG 14, Life Below Water. I thought so. I thought be a key one. But also <laughs> you do a lot around SDG 17 with partnerships for the goals. So it's they're all interconnected. They're all and amazing. It's a hard one to choose. Yeah. It is hard to choose. It is. Yeah. And we can see, you know, from the social side as well as the environmental side, how they're all working together. And where do you want to travel to next? We all are facing uh, restrictions, but what's next on your list? What ticket are you buying? 
So I just got back two days ago for a month in Kenya. Um, and my next adventure, I hope, will be Baja, Mexico. It's always been a dream of mine to go swimming with the whales. Oh, wow. Cool. Well, Kenya sounds interesting, too. I hope it was, it was a successful trip. Yeah. Lots of community-based work, which is always wonderful. Excellent. And our final question is, what does Carved in Blue mean to you? Um, it gives me hope of doing things the right way. So I think your, your platform does an amazing job in doing so. So thank you so much for what you do. And also looking at how to weave in the interconnectedness of everything um, on this planet. For sure. And blue can be anything from water to indigo. And those two are also very connected. Um, I love it. But yeah. Leah, it was wonderful to have this opportunity to talk to you today. And if anyone would like to learn more, how can they connect with you or how can they engage more with Oceanic Global? Yeah, so our website is www.oceanic.global. If you want to tune in for World Oceans Day on June 8th, you can go to um, unworldoceansday.org and then you can follow us on social at oceanic.global. Thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out our other episodes. Subscribe to Bluecast, like and review us. To discover more of our stories, you can follow our blog, carvedinblue.com, or feel free to reach out to us directly at denim at lensing.com. Thank you.